Welcome back, my friends, to the Sweet Spot, where IT leaders share the insight with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as in every week, I have my two co-hosts, Howard Houghton and Paul Lewis. Hey Hello, guys. How's it going, Carlos? Very good. Traveling, so I see Paul. You're traveling again? Yes, I'm in our Ottawa head office. I'm the only one physically here at the moment, but I assume people, other people will start to show up. Uh, it's good to be here. Good to good to wear, uh, you know, big boy pants and a shirt. It's good. I'm still not convinced you're wearing pants. I mean, I am wearing pants and full sleeves. Look at the park for <laughs> It's impossible. <laughs> no, no more polos. Well, I, I'm in an office, but I'm not wearing full sleeves. I'm, I'm. In <laughs> As I, I said before, I only have home clothes and work clothes. I don't right. have in betweens. Right. You know, I, I, uh, I've lost 60 pounds since, um, since the beginning of the year. Wow. Yeah. Um, Give me the recipe. Diabetes, apparently. Wow. Um, yeah. So I got diagnosed with type 2 diabetes uh, last a week ago. Right? So um, it turns out all the good, good stuff I've been doing um, was also accompanied by the evil that is diabetes. So now, I'm, uh, now, now you know, my diet will continue to be fantastic. And I have a couple of extra things I need to do on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, it's no big deal. It's just, it kind of is, you know, it's the, the kind of current change. Um, but yeah, so I had to buy a whole new wardrobe and, and Reem doesn't do suits. So. Oh, no, it's not, that's not oh. in their portfolio. No, that's not, that's not what they wear, right? Even, <laughs> even, even the EVPs come in uh, relatively casually. So. T-shirts, um, flip-flops. No flip-flops. They're not, they're, not they're not in California. The right. surfers. Right. Yeah, they're not surfers. But um, yeah, so so suits are not likely something I'm going to wear again. Although I did buy a brand new tailored uh, jacket. So. Oh, well, sometimes you got to get up on stage and we got to look the part. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And, and I got to think the beard's a good three, four pounds, right? So there's... The beard's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's, the, the beard is surprisingly, surprisingly disarming for people. So, a big beard and they go well this guy must be an engineer like, he's, like, <laughs> right. he's not gonna be able to talk about anything business related uh, and, and it just it sets the bar low so like you get up on stage and everybody's like oh this this guy he's he's gonna be somewhere up here and then you have that bar to meet i have this bar to meet it's way easier <laughs> right except for a detailed practitioner workshop they expect you to be the professor in that room uh, and i'm okay in that room yeah i tend to i tend to still be fine i, I keep my fingers i keep my my fingers in the pie and my the fingers on the pulse a little better. Excellent. So after a year of difficult changes, doing different things, we have all learned to do different ways of how we interact, how we celebrate, or sometimes how we turn to the bourbon. <laughs> so what, what can we do? How do we celebrate or look at difficult things as leaders? What do you think about that? I think it's a neat question, right? Because we talk a lot about what keeps CIOs up at night. Mm -hmm. We hear that a lot. And the fact is, there's not a lot. There's, there's really not much. Like, I don't, you know, Kaseya, the Kaseya attack happened last week, like a week ago. Um, that doesn't keep me up at night. I don't sit up at night worrying about what attack might hit my network and, and cause an outage because you can't. You'll never get any sleep because I don't, I, like, Unless your company is a top 10 security practitioner, right? Unless you're, unless you're the CIO of CrowdStrike, 
you don't have the people to make that determination. You just, you just don't have it, right? So, so you kind of have to, you just kind of have to let it go and go, is it going to happen? It's possible. Have I done everything necessary? Well, I have hired the, the people that I believe to be the right people to, to, to do it. So no, it's not going to keep me up that, right? And I'm a CIO. So, you know, kind of to Paul's point in the conversation before, um, I've got a roof over my head. My family is fed. There's food in the fridge. Like the stuff that keeps me up at night is personal health. Right, like, you know, family. Um, but turning to the bourbon is a very different conversation. Right? I've yeah, I agree. Because I got individual situations. Yeah, realistically, a as a CIO, you're the head of a larger organization. You've probably set yourself up organizationally and structurally, and from a posture perspective, to accommodate lots of possible things that might go wrong. Right? Um, However, what you also know as a CIO that things will in fact go wrong. It will absolutely go wrong. Application will be deployed to production that has bugs in it. There will be some security uh, penetration issues. Uh, you will, you know, fat finger keyboard and screw up production in some way. These things simply will happen. And as long as you have the appropriate process and people in place to deal with them, then even if I do get a call, I know that there's a team affecting change there. I'm not the one actually having to direct every single key press, right? It's not me on the keyboard fixing ultimately the problem. So I, I agree. It's not really keeping me up at night because I know that things are going to happen. What, what I do want to think about is what we'll talk about is the, both the celebrations and the exhaustion you might get at the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the month. Before we get there, how do you guys got to that point? Because we have leaders that listen to our podcast or our video show, and they may be starting and they may not know how to get to that point. Because I think that there's a point of maturity and understanding what your role is and what your role is not as the leader. So you can then celebrate the correct things or turn to the bourbon when things hit their own place. So, so I talked about this last week, actually. It's, a, it's kind of appropriate. Um, Trust. Our job really is to trust. That's you, if, if you don't have trust, you're not a CIO. You're faking it. It's the number one thing that I would say our job is, right? And, and someone asked me, like, how do I do that? And I said, well, simple. Just do it the way I do. Just default to trust. From day one, from minute one, I default to trust, right? I inherit a team. Simple. I trust that you're going to do the job you're hired to do. Right. Prove me right or prove me wrong. I'm going to default to trust. And then you know what? I sleep like a baby. Why? Because I put people in the position to trust them and they've never proven me wrong until they prove me wrong. So why would I stay awake worrying about something? Right? Worrying about the people that are in that position, worrying that I've placed my trust in the wrong place. I don't, I don't, I, I don't stay up at night worrying about that. When I find out that I that they cannot be trusted, then they're no longer in a position of trust. So I don't put them in that position. Right. Now, in fairness, there are varying degrees of maturity of the organization, right? So if you're a startup and there's only three people in the quote-unquote IT side of the business, yes, you're probably hands-on keyboard doing work. Yes, you're probably the one rocking and stacking. Yes, you're probably one, one doing the you know, quality assurance and code that gets developed. However, once you pass those, that level of maturity, that level of size, where you have you know, a decent amount of people, a team underneath you, then 
your worry is less about day-to-day problematic implications and more about, am I moving the needle appropriately for the business? Are we contributing the way the organization expects us to contribute holistically in IT? Sure, but then now you're into the second the second thing, right? So, so after trust, I have communication and expectations. Communication includes expectations. I can't set expectations without communication. And if it's a startup and there's only three people in IT and my hands are on the keyboard, then I've communicated back to the CEO and the rest of the startup, right? Small company, that the expectation is we're we're a lot more cowboy, right? We're a lot more fragile. We're a lot more whatever, right? Um, and I'm still not, it's still not keeping me up at night. Right. I'm still sleeping like a baby because I've properly communicated, I've properly set expectations, right? So the first job is trust. I have to trust the other members of my team. And in a startup, everyone is your team, right? There is no broken, there, there are no, there are no smaller teams. It's, you are one team. You're all working towards the same thing. And everyone expects mistakes to happen, right? It's part of the thing that I read, read to everyone that I hire is mistakes happen, I expect them to, right? My job is to shield you from consequences. And if there's a problem, you and I will talk about it. They don't keep me up at night. But in fact, for the most part, again, when it comes to work, I sleep like a baby. If there's an outage going on, right? Like we're in the midst of a three, I've had, it's not that there, there haven't been things that have kept me up, but they keep me up that night. Right. The number of things that are enduring where I'm where they keep me up on a, on a nightly basis where I go to bed thinking about them, they have nothing to do with work. Why? Because I set expectations and I trust my people. The now, irony of larger organizations is you actually have more outages, right? Like a very large bank that has 5,000 applications has outages every single evening, multiple <laughs> applications. But if you have five, that might be once a quarter you might have, right? So. So it actually becomes part of the practice of the organization of IT to simply handle outages because it happens on a daily basis, right? There's a a well-rehearsed configuration management and release management and and problem and incident management process to which they're just implementing, they're invoking. They are likely the conference calls already set up on a nightly basis, right? You just join it when the problem occurs. and if you're in a large organization and that stuff isn't set up, um, then it's an op- then every one of those is an opportunity to revisit the process and go, okay, we, we obviously need, are missing a process here. Let's add a process. Again, they don't keep me up at night. I know I have a missing process. I know the organization is immature. I know there's a level of maturity, ma- maturity change and evolution that needs to happen. That doesn't keep me up at night. Right? Has there ever been an incident that's been so detrimental to the organization? that you needed to be personally involved souped in it. Yes. It was so impactful that yeah. effectively the business was down. Yes. Yeah. Same, but I see those as exceptions. I don't worry about those at night because they simply don't happen as frequently as one would think. Yeah, there was one. There was, exactly. there was one. Exactly. I, I only remember one, and it was a network outage that affected every single business user, but, but more importantly, every single customer. They literally couldn't commerce. <laughs> that's a problem. That's, that's something I was keeping an eye on. Yeah. Our accounting system was down. Yeah. yeah. And what it, what, it, what, it, what it 
ended up, ended up happening was the um, everything was labeled incorrectly. Mm -hmm. So it was a it was a big mistake, right? Our monitoring had two servers flipped in the in the monitoring, so they were labeled incorrectly, and then the physical servers themselves were labeled incorrectly. Like the we put a label on the physical servers because it was before we had virtualized, and it was the accounting system, and the entire account, accounting system went down. Um, and so we were logging into a system that wasn't showing an error to fix an error that was alerting, right? But the two things, being said, right. there's something false going on here. We opened tickets and everything and, and no one caught that the labels were wrong. Yeah, that the hardware was in fact down, you're just not going into it. Correct, so we missed the fact that the hardware was broken and then when it finally failed, um, it failed. And, and then we tried to do a restore from backup and the backup, the, the restore from backup didn't work for days and days and days. It ended up, what ended up happening was there was a, um, uh, a Microsoft SQL service pack version uh, conflict. And once we, uh, once we walked back through it properly, it worked fine. And it would have been back up in, in less than an hour had we, had we not, you know, it was a con this, this kind of stacked event issue that kept me up for a few days. So yeah, it was like, it was like that on four days. But that still didn't keep you up at night until it actually occurred. That, that is correct. And then only, it, and, and once it was done and I was no longer kept up at night, right? Even, even like I communicated continuing with leadership and they're like, yeah, you just like, you know more about it than we do. So you just keep working on it. Right. And finally fixed it, got it back up and running. And, and I was like, look, I, all I can do is apologize. We've, we've fixed the problem. I take full responsibility for it. Um, you know, do what you need to do. If you, you know, if, if, if this is a resume generating event, well, again, right. it's my fault. So I'll take the blame for it. They're like, yeah, no, it's not. It's right. It wasn't end of month. It's not end of year. It's not end of quarter. It's none of those things. And yeah, it's a pain and we're going to have to work extra hard to, you know, to, to get everything now re-entered and, you know, we're behind on billing and stuff, but it's fine. Did you celebrate it at the end or did you, it took you to the bourbon? Yeah, yeah it took me to the bourbon the whole time. Right. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't drink during, but, but it's kind of to that point, right. It's, it's, that is an event that drives you to a glass at the end of every night. And when it, so when it was done, yeah, it, it definitely, right. I, it was a little bit of kind of tears in bourbon and then a little bit of celebration afterwards. Right? You gotta kinda, I, like you gotta let the exhaustion out. You gotta let the, the holy crap. I can't believe I screwed up that bad. Right. And, and, and this was a company I built from a startup. So, um, it was either me or the hands literally next to me in the data center that put the wrong label on the wrong server. So, right. So it, it was, it was likely my fault. And, and regardless of whether I did it myself, I didn't double, I never double checked it. So it was absolutely my fault. Right. So yeah, so that, that drew, drove me to the bourbon, but then a week later, and it's something I remember, right. It's a, it's a lesson that I retained forever. Right. Um, Paul about a year ago said success pays failure educates. Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm gonna get it tattooed on me. It'll be, you know, because it's it is so wonderfully good. Because I don't, I'll never forget that. Why? Why do we double check something as dumb as a label that we're certain was right at the time? Because failure educates. Right. <laughs> Lesson learned. Because I didn't do it one time, and and it cost me a lot. And so I'm never going to forget to do that again. So yeah, that drives me to the bourbon. So what what are other things that have driven to exhaustion. Like with the one thing that comes to mind and I'll use this, the simple word is change. So if you're making a massive change in that day, 
you are exhausted. That massive change might be an org chart change, right? Where you don't know if it's going to be effectively communicated and it'll be positive and negative effects of that org change. Or you've had to implement some riffs, right? You didn't want to do it. You have financial pressure. It's such a people, personal impact. You had to have potentially a lot of individual conversations yourself. That's exhausting. Uh, a potential, you know, presentation to the board where you've had sticky problems that you've had to talk about, that you had to get through, that there were challenges to which you either needed advice on or you were going to get held accountable for. Some of them, sometimes that exhausting, right? Sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. The rest of them I'm with you on that one, I would say sometimes, because for the most part of your list, that's the least stressful for me, presenting to the board, because it's, and, you know. Yeah, well, I, I find with board presentations, they're very rarely forward thinking, right? You're presenting something that either happened that you can't actually fix anymore because it's already occurred, um, or you're projecting what it might look like in the future, but that projection is exactly what you think. It's as important. It's as detailed as a financial projection would be, which would be thinly detailed. Yeah, yeah, I would say the, the night before. And it's and it's actually, um, for, for me, it's, is my story correct? Right. Right, it's not what are the consequences, what are the outcomes, none of that. It's, it's once I open my mouth and start down the path, my story is set. And, and you, I think you and I have talked about this, right? Like I'm not, I'm not super rogue, so I will adjust based on the audience, but the flow is still going to be the same. I still have part one, part two, part three, part four, part five. The words for those parts can change, and I can accelerate and decelerate through various parts based on how the audience acts. But, but I, I do have a lot of stress with that. That's a piece of anxiety that I and it, and I don't almost don't care who the audience is. If in my mind the presentation is important then that story tends to be the thing that, that, that gives me anxiety that'll drive me to the bourbon. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then almost always, it's drives me to the bourbon the night before from anxiety, drives me to the bourbon for celebration afterwards. Right. Right. I mean, you've, you've, I think you've seen me present enough to know I don't really screw up, right? You don't because of the style, right? Your style is, uh, in many ways, on the fly storytelling, right? Right, and therefore you can take whatever the audience is feeling important in that particular moment, and you can adjust the presentation to the audience in real time. Right, that is very very hard to do. However, you're incredibly effective at doing that. But it makes every pre presentation smooth, every presentation effective, every presentation you know stand up applause because you've hit exactly the points they were thinking because you adjusted it in real time. And every presentation different. And sometimes the slides don't match. <laughs> right. Exactly. Sometimes the slides are just happen to be the thing you're clicking, not the thing you're actually talking about. Right. <laughs> which is, which I, is I'm far more structured, right? I have a story. I, I can go turn left and right sometimes, but for the most part, I have a story I'm trying to tell. And there might be multiple parts, but I'm trying to get them to appreciate, bring them along, um, an idea that might be new to them. So I have seen both of you present. I like both. Now I'm going to ask both of you. Will you be, if you have to deliver each other's presentation in their style? It's impossible. I wouldn't be able to do it. Nope. So, so 
if the audience will be looking for something like that, will that drive you insane or to the bourbon? That you will have to do something like that. Yeah, so if I was told, like, let's say, let's create an imaginary situation, right? Where I was told I had to present the exact same content paid to three different audiences in the same way, that would drive me to drink, yeah. Yeah, because I wouldn't be, I, I, the, the amount of prep time for me to do that is significantly longer, right? Because I have to, now I have to create the story in a very different way. Um, like uh, what I would, what I would likely do is I would have to recreate the story and use the, uh, uh, the memory palace technique. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that technique. No. Um, so, so people that like memorize a deck of cards in a minute, they use what's called a memory palace to do it, to do it. Um, they, they basically create a scenario in a place they know really well in their memory and they walk through the, the thing as though it was a story. Mm. Right. Um, and so what I'd have to do is try to see, can I take all of those points and put them back together into a story that exists in like a memory palace, as an example, or it would become rote. And I don't like rote. Like rote is easy when I'm doing theater because I'm interacting with other people. And what I'm doing is I'm attaching my lines to their lines. So it becomes really easy for me. Right. Okay. So here's the trigger word for me to say this. There's the trigger word for them to say this. And it's logically attached to a scenario and it's logically attached to the movements on stage, right? But when it's just you on stage, for me to do rope doesn't work. I, I can't do it. There's no one for me to react to right. when I'm on stage, which is why when I'm on stage, I'm reacting to the audience, right? So I'm playing off the audience. So for me, it's theater, right? not so, so no, it would be very hard. Um, even the things that I've stolen from Paul, over time become almost unrecognizable as things that stolen from <laughs> the visual might be similar, but the right. story is different. Because as I make it more and more mine, it starts to change right. more and more. Um, and and you can see kernels of it, but but you know, but it doesn't stay the same. And I would say the same is true the other way around, right? The things that I've seen that you pick up over time start to drift and become less and less and less like mine. Yeah. I I like mine to be pretty consistent. Uh, because I like to, A, take them through the story, but really know where they're going to feel passionate about, right? I know I can predict what questions they're going to have, and I answer them before they ask the questions, right? So it feels to them like a great experience because they've, they've had all their questions answered during the presentation, right? They were thinking, but what if it's red? And my very next sentence is, I wonder what would happen if it's red. Right, that and it, and the repetitiveness give, allows me to get to that point where it feels like they're reading a book versus you know hearing the same old same old from somebody else. Yeah. Mine is much more. I push the audience into asking a question. I like to do that. I like to push right. them into asking a question, um, especially because I always I push them and then they ask the question. I go, "That's a great question." And here's the answer because I pushed them to that question. Right. Not a random question. Right? But you don't just do that. It's not only do you have an answer to the question, but here's a story that <laughs> that I've encountered that actually materializes the answer. Sure. And so I'm not going to say yes or no, but I'm going to go on a rant a bit so that it's obvious that it's yes. Right. <laughs> but you can only awesome. do that when you push them to that specific question, right? So you and I are doing the same thing. The difference is you're answering the question in their mind that they've created, and I'm forcing them to ask the question. Right. 
it's 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 really neat the way we both kind of get to the same thing. I, like you, Carlos, you've actually witnessed it. I wonder if there's discomfort when we go back to that. In the so office. I think that it's part of the conversation. If you get someone to like move on their chair, get in that, that discomfort, you're actually making them think. If they are just passively listening and not interacting with anything, that learning experience or that event is going to be just like anything else. So I think that you both are effective. And when we have share or, or share with a customer or something, that is what makes a difference. That could take someone, you said something or in a way that made them, oh, oh wait, uh, how did he, like you just said, how did he just read my mind? How did he said something that actually we were talking about it last week on our meeting. So, and they may be even look at someone like, like that he's saying what we said. Like, so things like that, I feel like that's, that's critical to then take it to, to the bourbon in a different way to celebrate. Oh, they are the ones that we need. That company understand me. Or that leader, I need to bring him to our organization or that engineer or that architect or whoever it is because you're actually solving their problem and the problem was in their mind. How do I solve it? And now they can go and say, hey, can I buy you a drink? And you go, what is, what is the one that you drink, Howard? Macallan 12, is it? The one with the big eyes? The one with, I, I, I don't really drink much with big ice anymore, but yeah, if I'm doing a Macallan 12, I'll do ice, but Macallan 18 is always neat. Always that one. Yeah. But, but I agree celebrations are important, but I'd also put on the table that we're not, we don't effectively do it in a timely fashion and not frequently enough. We, yeah. we miss them. We, we don't celebrate the small stuff. We wait for the very, very, very big stuff that has 50 people involved. Yeah. that's not helpful no right no. i want to call out three people i want to call out a one individual who did amazing things it's very difficult to call out 50 person teams of success because everybody contributed and it you know while you know there were probably some call out people there they're all little bits right? little bits of people delivered on something interesting so we've got to like get down to micro celebrations because these macro celebrations i don't think are positive affecting culture I don't think they are at all. Um, and, and I think they're more exclusive than they are inclusive. Mm. Right? Like we do macro celebrations thinking they're inclusive, but they're actually exclusive, right? Because right. if I call out one person and you exclude everyone else, it doesn't harm morale. Right. Right. This person did an excellent thing this week. Okay, cool. So my time will come. I just need to do an excellent thing because we call out one person. If it's right. always 50 people, then it's always the project team. That's right. Yeah. Right. So I even added to do like little things within Zoom. So when we have our architect meetings for engineers, like I can just hit the button and just uh, give them like some praise, like music or graphic or stuff like that, because it make a difference mm -hmm. to celebrate them, what they did uh, little by little that, that change the culture. And timeliness is important. Don't wait to the you know quarterly stand up to talk about the awesomeness of somebody's January <laughs> January win. 
right? No. Lose to the win as possible. Yeah. And sometimes the win is attached to a loss. Sure. Hey, we're going for an outage. I really want to call up, you know, Phil or or Linda or Nancy because, you know, they really saw us through it. Right. Even if they paused it, doesn't matter. Right. They stuck. They stuck with it, and we're back up and running, and we're back up and running because of their de their dedication. So I really yeah, want to. Their sweat, that. their tears. They Correct. figured it out. Nobody else pro could probably do it. Great. Well, congratulations. And it also means you're not likely they're they're, they're not going to get fired for it. And everyone has that anxiety, right? Okay, I caused this thing. And yeah, I got it back up and running, but I probably should pack my desk. No, 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 don't pack your desk. You're not going anywhere. Great. Mistakes happen, but let's celebrate the fact that, that we've learned. Let's celebrate the fact that, you know, failure educated. Right? And we've talked this many times. You cannot combine constructive criticism with pats on the back. Pats on the back. They are different conversations. They're not at the same time. There's 24 hours, 48 hour differences between right. them. Right. Congratulate immediately, 100%. Wait a few days to add any constructive perspectives. So let's talk about one more that I like to celebrate because um, I think we're probably running up against time. So one more that I'd like to celebrate is matriculation. Mm -hmm. You kind of think of it that way. But, but frankly, if someone is going on to something bigger and better, whether that's all out of your team into another team within the company or out of the company to another opportunity that they feel is great, that's a reason to raise the bourbon and celebrate. Yeah, it's a graduation. It is, it is in fact a graduation. That's why I call it matriculation. Yeah. Right. What if on the sticky side, they're going to a direct competitor? I don't care. No, that doesn't make a difference, Steve. Uh, not even a little bit. Right. Am I, am I going to be sad? Of course, but I'm sad in this because they're matriculating anyways, right? Right. But, but am, I, am I upset that they're going to a competitor? Not even a little bit. Because it's it's better for them. Sure, it's a win for my competitor too, obviously. But that's okay, right? It's it's um, and anyone that's listening to this that doesn't that doesn't agree, I highly suggest watch Simon Sinek's The Infinite Game. Hmm. Watch that talk because that talk is it's not we're not actually like the likelihood that we're competing is very little. I'm playing the infinite game. I'm not playing the short game. And so companies shouldn't be personified. It's not company A versus company B. Right. It's a set of people that are working for a company that are for doing their job as compared to another set of people in a company that are doing their job. Yep. They're not really competing, right? Person to person. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Carlos, good chat. So, I love the chat. This is a topic that came out after our event. So, make sure that you take the time to understand when to take yourself to the bourbon. There's celebration, but there's also some challenging times. And what do you do? So make sure that you share this, subscribe, and we'll see you on our next episode.